start at verse 25, and for your sake, um, it would be good if you know he's just fed the 5,000. If you see the, the, the pericope headings there, uh, pericope is a word for a section of a, a, ver, a chapter. Um, that's what those headings are called in your Bibles, pericope headings. And so you could see at the beginning of John 6, Jesus feeds 5,000. Then right after that, Jesus walks on water. That gives you some of the context of what has just happened. And it's very helpful for you to know he's just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, done this amazing miracle um, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And so then we pick up the story where people are swarming to Jesus as he is now on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They've, they've gone to find him because he's done this great miracle in feeding 5,000 people. And so um, let's pray before we read our passage today. Let's pray. Lord, we've just sung a prayer that you would break now the bread of life and, and give to us truth, spiritual nourishment, that you will open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. God, we, we come to you as people who are hungry and thirsty, who need to know more of Christ, who need to receive Christ, who need to be reminded of the sufficiency of the work of Christ for us. God, we pray that you would accomplish um, what you desire among us as I preach and as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. John 6, starting at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, 
and I will raise him up at the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What can we learn about Jesus through this proclamation that he is the bread of life? The bread of life. As I was dwelling on this passage this past week, what stood out to me most was that Jesus teaches here that in order to inherit eternal life, in order to really live in this life and the life to come, in order to be truly alive, you must have a personal faith in Jesus. Personal faith in Him. A personal relationship with God through Christ. We heard this several times in the passage that I just read. Several times Jesus draws a contrast between the collective group that is, is coming to him and many of whom are rejecting him and they're kind of testing him. They're coming to him with a spirit of skepticism about who he is and what he's done. So this, this group as a whole is approaching Jesus and, and Jesus says many things that will call out individual people from that group to start following him. So there are many people who are doubting Jesus in this story, and that's a large group. But Jesus calls people out to believe in him for themselves, to live in relationship with him, to trust him, to follow him. And, and we see that in many of the statements that Jesus made. In verse 29 of John 6, this is the work of God that you, and that's a singular you, not a plural you, uh, in, if you go to Texas, you might hear the word y'all sometimes. And that's kind of a helpful word because in a lot of cases, when the Bible says you, it means y'all. It means you all. And so in our, our I guess, other English translation, besides maybe the Texan version, uh, we, we can't quite tell if it's you or y'all. But this is a singular you. So this is the work of God that you, personally, you, believe in him who he has sent. 
And we find the same thing a little bit later in verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, not y'all, but you, individuals, whoever, again singular, believes has eternal life. Whoever believes has eternal life. And so what does this have to do with the bread of life? Well, it's, it's actually pretty simple. No one else can eat your food for you so that you would receive nourishment from that food. And so when Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life, he is intending that people would eat of the bread for themselves. Someone else cannot eat bread for you. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he's teaching that you personally must follow him. You personally must believe in him. You personally must pray to him. You personally must come to him in times of need and in times of joy. It is a personal relationship. Receive him personally. Believe him for yourself. Going to a church that preaches the gospel will not give you eternal life. Did you hear that? Being among people who believe in Christ going to a Christian school, being raised in a Christian family, being among lots of Christian people, uh, sort of having the corporate blessing, which there are blessings within those things, will not result in your everlasting life. And that's the distinction that Jesus is really drawing out in this word picture of him being the bread of life. No other person can eat the bread of life for you. You must receive it for yourself. Being around people who are confessing their sin will not result in the forgiveness of your sin. And so when we come to God in confession each week and we say, God, I've sinned against you by the things I've done, by the thoughts I've had, by the words I've said, that's not just meant to be a kind of a corporate general prayer, but, but the intention there is that you're thinking that for yourself, confessing your sin before God so that you might receive forgiveness of sins. So, when you turn from your sin and when you trust in Jesus for yourself, though, there's this amazing promise. You have life in you. Eternal life that lasts forever. So, this has all kinds of implications for how we think of ministry. Instead of just being a part of a ministry or being a part of a church, I would always hope that, that you would attend church for your soul's sake so that you would receive the bread of life personally. Young people, teenagers, middle school students, high school students, Pastor Zach is a great youth pastor, but he cannot receive Christ for you. You must do it. You must believe. You're called to trust Jesus for yourself. And, and young people, especially if you have not yet professed your faith in Jesus, have not yet stood before the congregation to say, I believe, I have eaten of the bread of life, and I have life in me. If you have not yet to do that, I would encourage you to personally today receive Jesus. Trust Jesus. Talk with your parents about what that looks like and what that means. 
so that you might not only profess your faith, but that you might participate in the sacrament by which we receive Christ spiritually. We receive of his body and his blood. Again, um, I think it's so common in our, our culture today, our youth culture, especially in evangelical Christianity, to think that if we have a, a really great teacher and youth program, then the kids will just almost um, by osmosis uh, uh, grow up into the faith. And those are important things to do. But each child must receive Christ for his or herself. That's the intention I know that Pastor Zach has going into our youth ministry, that there's a tension for each child and that they would grow up in Christ. So, sometimes this is the way that things go for adults too, I know. I think of a Bible study as an example. Maybe you've been a part of a Bible study before, or this is, could just describe your own personal devotional time as well. And it can be tempting to think of reading the Bible almost like doing your homework. Like you, you want to finish the homework in time so that when you go to the Bible study, um, you might have a few things to say. But uh, you kind of just want to get for, through it for the sake of getting to the class and not saying something stupid. Or you just want to get through your devotions so that you can say that you did that today and move on to the other things that you have to do, um, like going to work or um, running your errands and so forth. And so you want to get through the Bible material before the deadline comes. And then you might go to the Bible study group and you, you would hope that somebody else has done the, the homework, done the hard work, and can pull some interesting truths out of the passage and teach you about what you were supposed to read for yourself. But reading the Bible is not homework. Reading the Bible is about your time in the Word of God so that your faith might grow. Opening up your Bible is to come to Christ as the bread of life and to say, Oh God, would you feed me, my soul, my heart, my, uh, my spirit. And other people cannot accomplish this for you in the same way that other people cannot uh, eat a meal for you. (laughs) So how do you receive the bread of life? Well, in our culture, there is a term for somebody who earns a living. They're called a breadwinner. The breadwinner of the family is the one with the largest income who um, works and earns a salary, which is a good thing to do. And if we're not careful, we can think that we must also be spiritual breadwinners, that we should work to achieve this blessing in our lives. So do you have to earn this bread? Do you have to be a spiritual breadwinner? No. You cannot earn it. So stop trying to earn it. Verse 29 again. Still on the screen. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. That you believe in Him. That's the way to receive the bread of life is to believe in Jesus whom He has sent. So you receive life by believing in Jesus. When we think of believing, uh, sometimes we can get confused about what that really means. 
Um, we think of believing, you might just think about knowing various things about the life of Jesus, that he was born and we celebrate that at Christmas time, and that he's the Son of God, and, and that he died on a cross, and he rose from the dead. And you do need to believe those things in order to be a Christian. But believing is, is fuller than that. It has to do with trusting him with loving God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to believe Jesus is to follow him. When you're believing in him, the Spirit will change your heart so that worldly things that were once so attractive to you um, are now, now pushed aside so that you might follow Christ more faithfully. So believing in Jesus isn't just about knowing facts about him, which is important, but it's about trusting in him and following him. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent, that you come to him for the bread of life, that your, your whole life would rely on Jesus. So when we look at the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism, again, question and answer 21 this time, we'll see that the Christian faith must be personal. It is a personal faith. Uh, look at this great teaching as we learn what it means to believe in Jesus. The Catechism's authors ask, what is true faith? And this answer has stood the test of time. This was written 500 years ago. It's a good teaching on what is true faith, what it means to believe in Jesus. True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true. So there's the personal nature of it. True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in Scripture, it is also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the Gospel that God has freely granted not only to others but also to me forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace. I can't earn it. Granted solely by Christ's merit. So you can see there the personal nature of the Christian faith. Christianity is not individualistic in that it's just between you and Jesus and that's all that matters. We're called into a community of faith, in, into the church. We're called to be members of the body of Christ. And so it isn't individualistic, but it certainly is personal. So it is not individualistic, but it is personal that we're called to a personal faith in Jesus. That's true faith. True faith isn't so much held by a community. It is, but, but that's not how, how the, the, the uh, catechism's authors teach us. True faith is, is meant to be held by a person who trusts in Jesus. So certainly we as a church have faith corporately and we want to hold on to the gospel but the attention here is to how you are called, you are invited into a personal relationship with Jesus through true faith. So, are you hungry? You don't need anything more than the bread of life. What will happen then in your life when you believe? Well, Jesus describes the life of a believing person when he gives his law to people who come to listen to Jesus. So, Whenever Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount or any, any other uh, passage in the New Testament where there's sort of some, some moral teaching that Jesus lays out, he's describing the life of somebody who follows him, who believes in him. 
And Jesus gives a summary of the law that maybe we memorized a long time ago in Sunday school or um, is very even known by many people in our culture. So Jesus says, the person who follows me, who believes in me, will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The person who believes in Jesus will love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus tells us that he's the bread of life, he's saying that we will love him with all our hearts and he will fill up our hearts. When Jesus says he's the bread of life, he says that when we love him with all of our mind, that he will fill our mind with truth and with wisdom. He will nourish our minds. So to love Christ, to believe in him, is to have... um, a nourished mind with the truth of God. To love Christ with all your soul means that he will nourish your soul in a way that nothing else can. When you come to Christ every day, remember he is the bread of life who can sustain your soul in a way that nothing else can. He can sustain your mind in a way that nothing else can. He can sustain your heart in a way that nothing else can. You come to Christ loving Him and He nourishes you. Just yesterday I watched an interview on YouTube with a woman named Jen Nitsa who was a psychic before she became a Christian, before she believed and was born again in Jesus' name. And the interviewer, it was about an hour-long conversation Uh, The interviewer, Michael Knowles, who was a believer, asked uh, a probing question to this woman who used to be a psychic. Uh, She gave a lot of details about the darkness of the life of a psychic and the dangers of participating in that terrible sin of being a psychic or that people would commit in going to a psychic or a tarot card reader or a palm reader. And she said, it's a dark world. It's a bad situation. It's not a game. And so, um, after she had talked about her conversion story, how she cried out to Jesus for salvation, how she went to a church that her friend invited her to by God's grace and providence and heard the gospel and read the word of God and believed it, she, she, after she told this story of conversion, uh, Michael Knowles asks her, do you miss having a power or some secret knowledge? Do you ever miss that thing that you were able to do when you were participating in that sin in your your past life? Her answer was a great one. Without hesitation, she said, no, I never miss it. I don't miss anything. I don't miss doing anything for the devil. I couldn't. I love the Lord. Her her answer was, was very profound. She says, I don't miss doing anything for the devil. I couldn't miss it. I love the Lord. Why? Because her soul has been given something better. Something truly good. Something that really satisfies her heart, her mind, her soul. The bread of life. So she's, she's feasting on the bread of life, who is Christ. And so she says, how could I miss that sin that was destroying me when I have life in Jesus' name. So, what she received is Jesus, the bread of life. She received him personally. 
And when Jesus questioned, uh, was, was further questioned about being the bread of life, he taught also that the person who comes to him will not just have a temporary blessing, but the bread of life gives a perpetual blessing. So that's part two. Part two and three are much more brief. So first, the bread of life is about having personal faith. Second, the bread of life is a perpetual blessing, continual, permanent, unfading blessing for us. And we find this in John six twenty nine, one of the verses we read. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That was reflected in that statement from Jen Nitza, right? I don't have a hunger for that sinful, foolish, wrong lifestyle because I have what I need in Jesus. Perpetually, all the time, always, I have what I need in Him. So does this mean that if you're born again, that you could just coast along the rest of the road to heaven without any struggles or concerns or temptations in your way? No. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. And so we shouldn't feel guilty when we face temptation, when we become discouraged, when we feel spiritually hungry for Christ. We shouldn't feel guilty and somehow doubt our salvation as if maybe we're not born again because we have a desire for Christ. Brothers and sisters, you will stumble. You will have moments of doubt or worry. Your focus will sinfully shift away from Jesus at times in your life. And so what is Jesus teaching here in chapter 6, verse 29 of John? He's teaching here that every time we come to Jesus, every time we eat the bread of life, we will receive what we need to be content. So being hungry for more of Christ's presence in your life is not a sign of concern. Being hungry for more of Christ's presence in your life is is a good thing that you would come to him every day, every morning. As the old hymn goes, I need thee every hour. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. And so we come to Christ again and again and receive everything we need in Him for being content today. So, Jesus is teaching here that every time we come to Him, we will receive what we need to be content. And we know that this isn't how it works with other types of food, is it? If you find a new food that you really love, and then you decide, um, maybe you discover that you like sushi, and you've never had sushi, and you take that bite of sushi, and you love it so much, and you decide, I'm going to eat this for every meal, every day from now on. I did this with peanut butter sandwiches. I had one every day from kindergarten through senior year of high school, peanut butter sandwich. And I don't really want peanut butter sandwiches anymore. And so that's how it works with, with other food, with natural food. That's how it worked with manna in the wilderness. That initially, the Israelites receive manna, and they are excited that they could just scavenge for this food in the wilderness, and God is providing for them. They're amazed at this, this sweet-tasting manna. And so they enjoy it. They love it. They love eating it right away. They would prepare it in all kinds of different ways. But after weeks... And months, years, and even four decades of eating the manna in the wilderness, they're grumbling against God. So, 
If you eat of natural food, the same thing every day, uh, you would become sick of eating it, even though they should have been thankful because God was miraculously providing for them. That God was still keeping his promise, but they wanted something other than what he was providing. So they were grumbling against him. So when you sin, is the problem that Jesus isn't fulfilling his promises in your life? Is the problem that, that Jesus isn't enough? Or is the problem that you lack contentment in what he is providing? Is the problem with God when we sin? Or is the problem with us? Of course, we know the answer is that God always gives what we need for each day so that we would be content in him because he's faithful to this promise of being the bread of life who will not leave us hungry and leave us thirsty. And so the issue then is with us and our contentment with what he's providing. So many of the commandments are warnings against focusing on what we don't have. If you just go down the list of the Ten Commandments, you'll see that that everyone is in some way connected with a warning against discontentment. For example, God says, don't create an idol for yourself. Why would somebody do that? Because we can't see God. And what we sometimes sinfully want is to worship something that we can see. And so in our discontentment with with faith, we would say, I want to worship and put my trust in this thing that I can see. And maybe it's not an idol, but maybe it's the bottom line of our bank account. Because we can see that. And so God says, I'm enough for you. Trust me and don't idolize that thing that you can see. Or thinking of using God's name sinfully, as we thought of earlier in the service. Why would somebody use the name of God sinfully? It's because there's power in the name of God. There's power in the name of Christ. And sometimes people feel that, in, that they, they don't have enough power with the words that are appropriate to say in a certain situation, so they'll invoke the name of God and the name of Jesus in a situation um, sinfully because there's power, there's force in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. So this comes from discontentment. Discontentment with the words, all of the words, the myriad of words that God would allow us to, uh, to use and encourage us to use. But, but to misuse the name of God is a sign of discontentment with all that because we want to overstep the bounds and say a word that's more powerful. So, honor your father and your mother. Your father and your mother. The ones that God gave you instead of comparing them to parents that he didn't give you. And you just go down the list of commandments. Why do people steal? Because they don't trust that God has given them enough for today. Why do people commit adultery? Because they're dissatisfied in what God has provided for them today in their relationships. Why do people covet? That's even the, sorry, in the nature of coveting is a heart that is set on what God has not given instead of what he has given to you. So, All of this is solved if we're content with the bread of life that we have in Christ. All of it is solved. If you're content to say, I've come to you, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I've come to you, Jesus, and you have provided me with what I need today. Your desire to steal, to commit adultery, 
to covet, to compare your parents to other people, well, it will fade away if you say, you've given me what I need today. The bread of life is what I have. So we would do well to remember the request of the people who heard Jesus' teaching. They gave a, a great request in the middle of that. Maybe you didn't notice it, but it was in verse six, or chapter 6, verse 34. These people who come to Jesus say, Sir, give us this bread always, all the time, every day. The, the Greek word there for always is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses for pray continually, pray always, pray without ceasing. And so, hopefully, that would be our request as well. As we come to church, as we open our Bibles, as we go to work, oh, oh God, give me the bread of life always. That's the definition and, and what it looks like to have a, a vibrant prayer life. It's a simple prayer. Oh God, give me the bread of life always. To pray this in all different situations when you're sick. Oh Lord, would you give me the bread of life? Help me trust you. When, you're, when you've sinned, oh Lord, give me the bread of life. Give me forgiveness for my sins. When you're in need of peace in your life. Give me the bread of life and help me to be content in in Christ. So give us this bread, always, is a good request. When you believe in Jesus, he won't become stale or uninteresting to you as natural food does. Just the opposite. When you believe in Christ, you will find more and more enjoyment of him throughout your life. Just the opposite of him becoming stale and uninteresting Um, to you what will happen with approaching Christ day after day. You'll enjoy time with him more fully every day that you come to him. That's also what Jesus is referring to in terms of the perpetual blessing of the bread of life. It doesn't become stale. It does the opposite. You enjoy it more all the time, every day, the more you come to him. So, the final lesson that we'll consider today is the bread of life is plentiful. So, You can see here, I don't normally do this, the the three Ps, personal faith, perpetual blessing, and the bread of life is plentiful. There is enough for you. There's enough for every person who comes to him. That's good news. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with 12, 12 large basketfuls of leftovers from starting from five loaves and two fish, he's fed 5,000 people. And that miracle, like many others in Jesus' ministry, teach us that God has enough for everyone. God has enough grace. God has enough peace. God has enough joy so that everyone who believes in Christ will get everything that they need. The grace of God is plentiful. The peace of God is plentiful. The bread of life is multiplied to every person who would believe, who would come to Jesus for it. And that's in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Bread is food for common people. Bread is food for regular people. Jesus did not say he's the caviar of life. You know, that would sort of teach us 
that would communicate to us that, that this blessing is for a special, certain kind of person. No, he says, I'm the bread of life. A bread, for, bread is for all kinds of people in all strata of society. For those who are poor and those who are wealthy. And whoever comes to him will receive this bread. He will not turn away. So this is why it's good to rely on Jesus and not ultimately on a pastor or a person for all of your spiritual nourishment. I only have so much time. I only have so much wisdom, so much understanding of God and the kingdom of God. I, as your pastor, only have so much energy and attention that I could give. But Jesus is always there for you. Jesus is always there. His blessing is both you have a more personal connection to him than any person. You have a blessing that you could receive from him that you could not receive from any person. And there's more of it than you could receive from any person as well. So, Jesus is there. He is here. He is calling you. The Father prompting you to come to him, and whoever comes to him, he will not cast out. He will provide for your needs. When you say to him, give us this bread always, he will meet your need. So are you eating the bread of life? You. Again, I do this often, I think, in my my messages. Don't think of, of others right now. There's a time for that, but think of yourself. Are you receiving the bread of life every day, even every hour, when something concerning comes up, going to Jesus. When something joyful occurs in your life, going to Jesus in thanksgiving. When you're just going through your day with Jesus on the forefront of, of your mind, you're receiving life through the Spirit. So, eating the bread of life means you believe in Him, you trust Him, and you go to Him continually. Closing with the words of Charles Spurgeon, in this great sermon, Feeding on the Bread of Life, that he preached in 1881. He said, We often feed upon Christ while hearing sermons. We feed upon Christ as we read good books. We feed upon Christ in the public prayers of the sanctuary and in the secret communion in our own chamber, meaning your devotions. If we are as we should be, we are always feeding upon Christ. And part of the meaning of that petition, give us this day our daily bread, is... Give us this day to feed upon Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, we love you, and we love the provision that you've given for us in Christ. We receive it with thanksgiving in the same way that we receive a meal with thanksgiving. O God, Give to us the bread of life. Give us a hunger, a taste, a desire for more of the bread of life of Christ every day. God, we pray that you would meet all our needs through Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.